This podcast is sponsored by Bethany House Publishers. Order Carved in Ebony through Baker Bookhouse and save 30% off plus free shipping. Visit bakerbookhouse.com to purchase. Welcome to episode six of the Carved in Ebony podcast, where we share bite-sized lessons about the women of Carved in Ebony. My name is Jasmine Holmes. I'm the author of Carved in Ebony, and I'm here with my friend, Abina Answer Wright. Hello. <laughs> the illustrious. Nope. The beautiful, <laughs> the talented, the intelligent, the- Can you, can you just call me friend? Okay, fine. I just friend, want to. I just want everybody. Friend to know. is honor enough, you know. <laughs> I just want everybody to understand that we should be honored. We are honored that you are here with us. Thank you. Today, in the last episode, I taught the almost doctor <laughs> to write something about consumptive sheep. Consumptive sheep. And yes, we went on to continue to talk about it after we got off the podcast. Of because... course, we did because we were like. What? <laughs> Let's get into this. It's so interesting because like her consumption was a really important part of her mm-hmm. navigation. <clears throat> and we're talking about Charlotte Fortin, of course, but Charlotte Fortin, the fact that she had consumption or as we call it now, tuberculosis, was a really important part of her navigation of life down south. And yeah. that entire conversation was really interesting to us as black women who are constantly navigating mm-hmm. majority white spaces and and figuring out like the best way to do that. And so for Charlotte, the way that she did that was by pointing back to her sickness. For the yeah. person that we're talking about today, religion was the big safety net that mm-hmm. surrounded her. And interestingly enough, still surrounds her to this day. Carved in Ebony is about 10 different kinds of women Two of them are missionaries. But if you ask the average person, like, what's Carved in Ebony about? They'll say, oh, some missionaries and some other women. <laughs> because the missionaries are the ones that make us comfortable. Yeah. They, they're they make not sense speaking. To us. Yeah. They're not speaking truth to power in the same way. They're not, mm-hmm. you know. And so when we get to Amanda Berry Smith, it is really easy to take the teeth out of her contribution. Yeah. By seeing her as this lowly, meek and mild missionary who never challenged anyone. Yeah. She's safe for us. Mm-hmm. But when we recognize the context that she was operating in. Yeah. The fact that she was not talking about slavery and racism does not mean that she wasn't active in changing the tide of people's opinions about both things. Mm hmm. Even just occupying religious space as a black woman. Yes. That's abolitionist enough, you know? Absolutely. (laughs) Speaking truth to power and being in those spaces. So before we dive any deeper, I think we need to give people a great sense of who she is. So Amanda Bray Smith was born in Maryland and she was actually born into slavery. She was one of 13 children and her father worked his butt off and bought his freedom, her mom's freedom, and all of the kids' freedom. That's wild. 
Right? That must have taken actual decades. I, it's crazy. So he bought their freedom, you know, and Amanda was educated kind of in Sabbath schools. And she grew up listening to the Bible at home, even though as an adult, she wasn't super involved, like directly in abolition. Her father was involved in the Underground Railroad and in helping other enslaved people escape to freedom. And so the family kind of occupied space between Maryland and Pennsylvania. And we've already talked about Maryland. Mm-hmm. In Francis's story, Maryland was not a friendly place for black folks. So the fact that nope. he bought his freedom and his family's freedom in that environment, that was not cheap. Mm-mm. And also a grace of God, because, you know, a, a master was under no obligation to allow enslaved people to make money and be able to purchase freedom. So she had a few really pivotal religious experiences as a child and as a young adult. Her first husband, he told her that he wanted to become a pastor. He was like, I really I feel called to preach. And she was like, awesome. I will be a pastor's wife. And similar to teaching, you know, we've talked about mm-hmm. teaching as a way for black women to be vocal and teaching as a way for black women to have like a say and women in general to have a say in what's going on yeah. in society. A woman who wanted to preach, preaching was not a direct route for her, but being a pastor's wife, mm-hmm. but he didn't want to be a pastor. They ended up getting married and he ended up wanting to be a social climber. So he just really wanted to be part of the black elite so he was spending all their money paying dues for social clubs and just like he just want he just wanted to be somebody and they were so poor they didn't live together they lived in two separate places they were so poor that when amanda finally had their daughter Maisie, the daughter lived in a separate place because there was no room for the daughter where amanda lived and amanda couldn't look out for her because Mm -hmm. she was working full-time she was a washerwoman so her husband went off to fight during the civil war and he never came back. We don't know what happened to him. We assume that he died. And so she was wow. free, right? So she starts, you know, climbing back up in religious society and kind of like getting in with a Methodist. You know, she kind of talks to the Quakers a little bit. She's she's finding her way, ends up getting married one more time. This husband is a drunk and he is not kind. And gosh, she suffers through several, I think, four she has four children who die in infancy because of the conditions that she's living in she's just in poverty and you know she's living in these tenements that are not sanitary she's just i mean she's she has a life of grief you know Mm -hmm. and so the drunken husband dies and then she's free again and then she's like i ain't getting married again because I'm done with this. That did not work out for me. So she and her daughter start going on these evangelistic tours around America and speaking. Mm -hmm. She speaks to black folks. She speaks to white folks. And when I say speak, I'm saying speak because it makes, you know, a lot of our evangelical listeners comfortable. But homegirl was preaching. Yep. She was preaching. She felt called to go to Africa. She really wanted to go to Africa and wanted to be a missionary there. The door opened to England first. And so she went to England and was a missionary in and around England for several years. And she went to India. Then she went to Africa, South Africa, I believe. But I believe she was in more than one country in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up coming home and she started basically an orphanage, a children's home for kids whose parents were had died or were not capable of financially providing for them. And that's how she spent the rest of her life. And she financed the children's home through her 
autobiography that she wrote about her insane life. (laughs) (laughs) It's got a really, really long title. So we just call it the autobiography of Amanda Berry Smith. But it's like the Lord's dealings with Amanda Berry Smith, the missionary to India, England. The 19th century really loved those long titles. (laughs) It's like, we're going to tell you the entire book in the title. It's like really important. (laughs) So yeah, so she ended up running that orphanage until she got a little bit older. And then she retired in Florida. And then she died at a nice, ripe old age wow mm-hmm. what a life i feel like she lived 10 lives in one incredible that's incredible so i know that her quote is the namesake of the book it is and i'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the context in which she says this so amanda was really preaching and speaking in majority white context and she talks about you know kind of being nervous and it's it's really interesting because she endured racism and she alludes to it but it's Mm -hmm. never like this exact thing happened and this is how I felt about it like her focus is very much on I preached the gospel that's what I was there for that's what I did that's that was my calling and so because she was in and around so many white spaces, they, people, and if you look at a picture of her, she's striking. She was six feet tall. Mm-hmm. She, Which is huge in yes, the 19th century. It's huge in the 19th century. And, and we, haven't, we haven't really talked about colorism yet. We will more so in the Sarah G. Stanley episode, but a lot of the women that we, that we talk about when we talk about Black women who've had an impact in history are a certain shade or lighter. Those were the How women who were able to get into the spaces. Those were the women who were able to get into what was, and this is this is in no way to slight them, right? Because no. being a black woman of any shade- It's being a black woman. <laughs> being a black woman, <laughs> like period, point blank. But yeah. a lot of a lot of the women who were able to kind of climb into these areas, like if you look at Frances Ellen Watkins Harper mm-hmm. and you look at Amanda Berry Smith, Amanda Berry Smith's a lot darker. Than, than Francis. And then when we get to Nanny Helen Burroughs, you know, we'll face colorism again in her experience of trying to become a teacher in Washington, D.C. And so mm-hmm. you have this six foot tall black woman. Basically, her nickname became God's image carved in ebony because mm. this beautiful we have a shop called Carved in Ebony. That's it. <laughs> yeah, where we sell merch like all kind, not just from women in the book, but like black black history in general. And Amanda Berry Smith is our logo. And she is gorgeous and regal mm-hmm. and like six foot tall black woman, simple Quaker dress, hair, yep. you know, pulled back. But just like the lines and planes of this woman's face, like when you when you hear God's image carved in ebony, if you saw her in a lineup, you would be like, it's yeah. that one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, she is wonderful. So, you know, we're still in the same kind of era as we have been throughout the past, you know, three, four episodes, early 18th, early 19th century, sorry. So what I really wanted to do was focus in on the tradition of Black women preaching, because one of the things I really, really love about Amanda Berry Smith is she just really longed for the Lord. Like you can see that every... Every decision she made, every choice, every, you know, everything she did was through a desire to serve God, through a desire to love God. And, you know, simultaneously, she's human. She struggled through bad marriages and she had 
children whom she lost, you know, and yet she still continued to pursue God. And so what I just really wanted to point out in terms of context is Amanda Berry Smith belongs to a long, long, long tradition of Black women preaching. And that was something that really had to be fought for. So we're going to go back in time a little bit. Around 1816 was the founding of the African Methodist Episcopal Church by Richard Allen. Richard Allen. You know his name? I do, but only because yeah. only because of the research from Carpenter Ebony. If you would have asked me who Richard Allen yep. was before this, I would have been like, eh. So I got to study Richard Allen and the AME, the history of the AME church in my first year of graduate school. I work with the foremost historian of the AME church and he's an AME bishop himself, Dennis Dickerson. So if anybody wants to pick up his books on AME history, they are fascinating. But essentially what happens is Richard Allen was enslaved and essentially he has a conversion experience. So there's this whole genre called conversion narratives. So you can read about Richard Allen's conversion experience um, in his conversion narrative. And basically he is converted to a Methodist kind of, you know, we'd call it a conference today, you know, these kind of mass camp gatherings where people are evangelizing, that kind of thing. So he gets converted there. And upon conversion, he is like, being enslaved was clearly incongruous with being saved. Salvation, and he talks about it in his narrative, salvation is about freedom from bondage, freedom from the shackles of life, and therefore how could I continue to be enslaved? Right. And so um, similar to Amanda Berry Smith's parents, he works for freedom. He works to be able to purchase his own freedom and after doing so, he really wants to join the Methodist church. And what he finds when he joins the Methodist church is similar to some of these complaints from these women. They're really segregated. Black people have to sit on the top tier. Um, they cannot be on the ground level with everyone else. So they're either separated, have different services, have to go to the back of the line to receive communion, which to him, that was the greatest grievance was that they had to go to the back of the line to receive communion. How are we bringing distinction and rank into the house of God was really his complaint. And so on the basis of that, He's like, well, I need to create a space in which Black people can be honored and have the space to honor God the way that we're supposed to. And so he he founded the AME, which is still around today. There, I'm sure you've seen lots and lots of AME churches around, especially if you're in the South. There's a whole other narrative about, you know, the AME getting to come down here. But what is really interesting is he fights for that. And then he meets a woman named Jarena Lee, who actually gets converted at one of his services at Bethel AME in Philadelphia. So she is Alan's contemporary. She's a free Black woman born roughly in the 1780s, we think, in New Jersey. And like I said, she converted to Christianity. In, and then in 1807, she felt called by the Spirit to preach and teach. This is a drama. People are like, uh, no. <laughs> Women sure? don't do that. Are you sure you heard I that correctly? I don't think that's okay. Richard Allen, who had fought for the right to preach, the right to worship, all of these things for Black people, 
said, no, no, Drina, you cannot. And so she kind of is, you know, she says, okay. She submits to church authority. And it isn't until about 12 years later in 1819, where she sat in a service and a preacher is doing a bad job. Essentially, he's not doing a good job. He's botching the sermon and she, and he's really struggling to get through it. So she just is like, so, and starts, gets up, goes to the front of the church and starts preaching in his place. And so in that, what black women were kind of allowed to do was exalting is what they Mm -hmm. called it, which Mm -hmm. is like offering a word, but it's not the centerpiece of the service, you know, that kind of thing. So she kind of slipped in there under the radar of just kind of like, this is just exhaustion. Um, And I'm trying to share something in this moment. But hearing her preach, Richard Allen was like, oh, she got skills. (laughs) And so she became a preacher. He finally gave her the authorization to preach. But again, kind of a little caveat to that is she could only be an itinerant preacher. So Drina Lee spent the rest of her life really traveling around the Northeast, around New England kind of area, preaching and teaching in places. And if you have the chance to get a hold of her book, she has a conversion narrative and the story of her life. And you can hear about, she's kind of different to Amanda Berry Smith in that regard and that she talks quite consistently about the receipt, the way people receive her as a black woman in these different places. How many people are shocked that a black woman has so much to say and has so much insight about God, people who refuse to allow her to preach once they, once she got there and they realized it was a woman. There's just so much about her life that is really kind of emblematic of the struggle of a women fighting to preach and b black women wanting to claim any kind of authoritative space in church, Mm -hmm. even in an actual Black denomination. But she's not alone. There are other people like Zilfa Elo, who was born around the same time as Jarena and felt called to preach. And she was Quaker. There's Rebecca Cox Jackson, who's one of my favorites because she was a Shaker eldress. If anybody can look up the Shakers, please do. She's fascinating. That denomination is so interesting (laughs) to me. Um, But there's her as well. She lost her marriage and lots of relationships with her family members because she was determined to preach and she, you know, made an, a full life of religious activism. So this, this is a long tradition of Black women preaching. This is a long tradition of women preaching. Mm-hmm. And a great book for those who are interested in this topic is one called Strangers and Pilgrims, Female Preaching in America, 1740 to 1845 by Catherine Brickus. It is a full kind of anthology style book of all of these different women who, you know, from the revolutionary era onwards were really pushing through the the right to preach. And yeah. that is a debate that goes on right through, I mean, today. Let's today. Let's talk about it. Today. <laughs> I was going to say like today. 90s, but we're still talking about yeah, it. For um, sure. So no matter how you feel about female preaching, it's interesting to see the... Yeah, just how many women throughout American history have really felt this call on their lives. And when we look at what it is that they actually have to say, when we read their words, when we imagine hearing their sermons and their preaching, there's incredible things of God in there. So I just challenge everyone to 
go look, go check them out. They're incredible. I I think the takeaway that I want to, as we kind of lay in the plane here, the takeaway that I want you guys to have is like, Amanda Berry Smith was a preacher. We can look at that and learn from that regardless of our opinion on women preaching. Yeah. It's a historical fact. Like we don't have to like or agree with women preaching Mm -hmm. to acknowledge the historical fact and the weight of the historical fact. So if any of my reformed brethren <laughs> are like squirming in discomfort, okay, but we're talking about something that actually happened here yep. in the life of a sister in Christ. And there's still lessons to be learned from it, regardless of what your opinion of a woman on the pool in the pulpit is. And regardless yeah. of your opinion on what a woman in a pulpit homegirl owned the pulpit <laughs> she, did. She, she did she did and even like people have been like well she's methodist like what do you think and i'm like did she I'm defensive because i grew up methodist so well, i'm just like <laughs> did she believe that christ came to die for sinners and rose from the dead on the third day and is coming back again we're good. I think we're good. Like, <laughs> we're good we're good like we're not asking no. you to sit in her you know sit sit in her church and like her to be your pet we are literally saying this is a woman who loved god spent her entire life devoted in service to him and can teach us so much so much even just how i think it's a section that you dive into so deeply in the in the chapter where you talk about you know the passage in romans where we are to rejoice in suffering you know because it produces endurance endurance character and character hope she is the perfect example of that. She really, really is. And I found, I honestly like underlined that bit so much just because that's hard. That's yeah. hard to do. That's hard to do as a Black woman. That's hard to do for all of us mm-hmm. in church. Rejoicing and suffering is not something to take lightly. Like, I think we all say it as though it's just this easy thing. And it's like, actually, no, her life, even if you are uncomfortable with her preaching like even if you just look at her life and the fervency that she has for the lord in spite of everything that's happened to her just a million lessons can be learned from that truly so yeah this is gonna be one of our longest episodes i think we got carried away but (laughs) she is the books she's the namesake so you know i feel like she deserves it she deserves it it's important it's important so yeah next time we're gonna be talking about the last woman who was born so all three of these women are born the same year amanda barry smith charlotte forden grimke and sarah d stanley are all born the same year and so Sarah is the last of the Mohicans in this particular year. And she is the woman who brought Abina and I together. Thank so. you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Appreciate you bringing black women together beyond the grave. Like that sounds right? like something you would do. That's it's true. Mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> so next time we'll be talking about her. Y'all have a great day. Thank you for joining us today. Bye. Bye.